and welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know-how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today, I am super excited and honoured to welcome to the show my friend, medical leader and fellow physician coach, Dr. Mamta Gautam. Dr. Gautam is an internationally renowned psychiatrist, consultant, certified coach, author and speaker. Focused on professional health and well-being since 1990, she is a trailblazer in this field and is known as the doctor's doctor. She holds leadership roles in several national medical organizations to advise on the issue of physician well-being. In the past two decades, she's expanded her work to include leadership development to better address system level factors that impact the well-being of healthcare workers. She's created podcasts and videos on these topics and authored articles, book chapters, and two international best-selling books. She brings this knowledge and expertise to Peak MD, through which she delivers keynote presentations and workshops, consults to healthcare organizations, and coaches senior medical leaders internationally. Dr. Gautam is committed to advancing diversity in medicine and facilitates leadership development for women in medicine. She's, she's developed and co-leads Momentum, a six-day retreat for women in medicine, and recently founded The Raft, an accredited online platform for leadership development, peer support, and a community for women physicians. She is the recipient of numerous prestigious awards for her innovative work to support and mentor her healthcare colleagues, and has been awarded distinguished fellowships in both the Canadian and American psychiatric associations. As you can imagine, like just reading that, I am just so I'm so honoured to to uh, to welcome Mumta to the show. When we when we first had a chat um, a couple of months ago, I could I couldn't believe that uh, she was speaking to me and and agreed to come on my show. I'm just I'm I'm so honoured. She's such a stellar a stellar guest. So I just think what an incredible mission, and it's been going on now for several decades. I think it's fair to say that Mumta is definitely leading the way with inspiration. So. Without further ado, let's meet Dr. Mumta Gautam. Welcome to the show, Mumta. Thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on and speak to the show's audience. Adam, thank you so much for that kind introduction. I have to tell you, the honor's all mine. It's such a privilege to be here and to speak to you. And uh, I look forward to our conversation. Thank you so much. You're, you're very lovely. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm so, so grateful. Thank you. Okay, so I. I read out that, you know, really, really uh, fantastic bio, but in, in your own words, personalize it um, maybe a little bit. Please could you tell the audience a bit more about yourself, including what your current work roles are and what leadership positions you currently hold or have, or have held in the past, please? Yeah, thank you, Adam. So uh, as uh, as you've mentioned, I'm a psychiatrist here in Ottawa, Canada, and my two areas of focus are physician well-being and physician leadership development. And really been uh, um, starting to see uh, physicians in my in my psychiatric practice since 1990. So uh, over three decades of really understanding what are the issues that our colleagues face each and every day in the workplace. Um, and I have, over the years, had the privilege of setting up uh, physician well-being programs. I think the one that we set up in Ottawa uh, was the first of its kind anywhere at a medical school in the world. Uh, we use that as a template for the uh, Physician uh, uh, Centre for Physician Health and Well-Being at the Canadian Medical Association. Again, at the time, the first at any national medical organization. So a uh, very uh, privileged to have been a part of that. Uh, currently, I uh, uh, continue to do clinical work about two days a week. And I, um, as you've mentioned, uh, have a company, Peak MD, and through that, I do a lot of uh, keynote presentations on topics in uh, physician well-being uh, at medical meetings uh, around the world. I uh, lead physician uh, uh, development, uh, leadership development workshops uh, as well, and um, will uh, often uh, go into healthcare organizations and consult to help them set up well-being programs. And uh, as 
you mentioned, coach senior physicians as well. Um, currently, I have the privilege of serving um, as the chair of the uh, Ontario Medical Association uh, Task Force for uh, burnout, uh, for physician burnout. And I also serve as a wellness advisor for the Royal College of uh, Physicians and Surgeons of uh, Canada. So, um, you know, just a very, uh, um, very exciting time, I think, certainly as I'm seeing more uh, happening in the in the field of uh, physician well-being. Yeah. Gosh, you do you do so much. You have so, so many leadership roles and they're all kind of, you know, to the betterment of of your fellow physicians by by the sounds mm -hmm. of it. So, I mean, just just incredible. I'm I'm honestly I'm in awe and 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 you know, trailblazer was the was the word in your bio and that's so so true. I mean, the things that you've been doing for 30 years now, uh, 30 plus years. Um you know we're only sort of started to do in the uk probably in the last five years or so you know kind of setting up you know mm -hmm. dedicated physician well-being services and things like that so just just incredible um well thank you for that um could you share with the listeners what you feel your personal leadership style is please yeah thank you you know i i um think i um in many ways many of us who you know our leaders have always taken on leadership roles, even from a very early age. But I remember distinctly a uh, a leadership workshop that I was uh, asked to attend when I was a chief resident. I, I you know, and at the time, people didn't do leadership workshops. Uh, it was some something that was new and innovative, and they suggested that all the chief residents attend. And one of the things that really struck me in that workshop when they talked about, um, you know, sort of the best leader, and I guess at the time, up until then, you know, we all come into this uh this uh, profession and we're hard workers and we're dedicated. And I just really thought you take on a leadership role, you work even harder and you do even more. And what I really learned from that leadership workshop was the importance of, uh, um, you know, having a good team around you and allowing your team to do the work that is best matched to the strengths that they have. And so that was a very different concept for me. And, uh, and I think it really helped shape my leadership style, which I would say now was more collaborative and coaching, really helping people understand what is it they want to do? What is it they do best? How can they best help advance sort of a mutual goal? And then, you know, giving them a role that really helps them shine in that. Brilliant. Thank you. So more, more collaborative and coaching now. Um, yeah. And, you know, as um, opposed to when, when we're physicians, and obviously we don't really get any leadership training at, at medical school and we come out and then we just see the hierarchy and it's just, oh, well, you know, person in that role, they can do that job, right? But, you know, right. you, you, you sounds like you learned to, you know, dig, dig a lot more deeply and kind of find out what people were really good at and kind of, uh, you know, uh, allocate them the, the roles that best suited their skill set by. Well, it sounds Absolutely. a bit so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Really about um, inspiring and enabling other people to be able to do their best. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So empowering people and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, fantastic. Thank you. Um, okay. So obviously, you know, you you have um, myriad leadership roles now that you've uh, kind of uh, you have grown into and and have evolved and um, and accumulated over the years. But how did you sort of first get into leadership? Uh, what was your first role and how did how did you get into that? Yeah, well, when you asked me what my first role was, uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure whether you're talking professionally, Adam, or just like bossing my sister oh. around. Right? <laughs> that was probably my first role. Um, I joke, but, you know, I think uh, as I was referring to earlier, you know, certainly with the physician colleagues that I have had the privilege of working with all these mm -hmm. years, you know, I see a lot of times um, leaders have had experiences from a very early age where they've been put into a leadership role. And I think that what that does is give us a certain level of confidence to be able to take it again in the future. So if I think about my own background, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm one of five sisters. My parents immigrated from India to Canada uh, when I was about four. And you know, um, we were, it was very exciting to be in a new country and to, and to learn, uh, you know, to, to, uh, like, yeah, really just to learn a new culture and to be part of that. Um, sadly, my father was unexpectedly killed in a, in a car accident, uh, when I was, uh, 11. And, you know, there was my mother, 
and five daughters. And if you know anything about the Indian culture, you know that as a woman with daughters, uh, you know, certainly back then, there wasn't a lot of status and a lot of, uh, um, you know, optimism for for what was ahead of us. So my mom uh, has served as an amazing role model to all of us. Uh, Mm. uh, Since that time, she's chose to stay in Canada and work hard and raise us here. Um, but part of that meant that we all took on different roles. Like I remember at 11, you know, filling out my family's income tax forms because, you know, someone had to do it. Right. And so you yeah. learn. And, and I, you know, and I think what that's helped me with is many, many times, in the, you know, looking at a role and thinking, you know, I don't know if I want to do this, but I know I can. Yeah. Right. And I think that that has really been the foundation. And then, of course, you know, you continue on, you do well at school, uh, you work hard, you're responsible, and and then you do get, you know, leadership roles. Uh, I remember being, you know, class president and treasurer of the student council. And they were all things that I felt very comfortable and and capable in in terms of doing. but in terms of taking on sort of a broader leadership role, say, and really advancing something, in, in, you know, culturally, was not something I'd ever really thought about um, until I had my own experience. Uh, um, and I, it, you know, basically, uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, make the story uh, uh, as concise as I can, I'm a pretty healthy person until unless i'm i'm pregnant and so i uh had my uh first son in my last year of my residency which is our specialty training program yeah. and then i had my my next pregnancy which were twins the following year so i was very sick with my first i ended up having preeclampsia you know i was uh, uh induced and and things went well i mm. think that um with the twins uh, things were even more uh, difficult. And um, I ended up having what was called the help syndrome at the time and really yeah. had to have an emergency section to, uh, um, you know, to have them and, and you know, so grateful that both of them and me are all well. But I really remember thinking, you know, there is a reason why I've been allowed to, you know, get through this. I'm not sure really what my mission is, but I'm here for a reason. And so really having had that thought at the time. And then my experience in terms of coming back to work was very, um, was was really quite difficult. There was no, um, you know, no sort of empathy for what I'd been through. I remember coming back to work, uh, um, you know, still with an open abdominal wound because I didn't have any liver function and so no clotting factors and um you know and it didn't matter to my training program and I learned with a multitude of similar sort of experiences that you know healthcare does not really care about the health of the healthcare workers. And then I realized you know what maybe that's what I was here to do. Right. And um still trying to figure out how am I going to do this? How am I going to advocate? you know, for all of my colleagues that will, you know, that probably have had similar experiences and are going to continue to. And then I had a really interesting experience that, um, you know, so I finished my fellowship training in child psychiatry. That's what I thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. My first year out in practice, um, maybe a few months into it, um, I had a, a senior colleague, uh, somebody who actually has been a mentor to me and continues to be throughout. Uh, she called me on a Friday night around midnight, um, <clears throat> you know, in a bit of a panic, telling me that her, um, you know, her uh, she, she was the uh, national president of this medical organization that was having a meeting here in Ottawa that year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said, I've just received this call from my keynote speaker from tomorrow and he's sick and he's had to cancel. She goes, can you fill in? Right. And remember, this is 1990. So there's no such thing as PowerPoint. There's no such. I mean, I'm still talking to her on a phone that's connected to a wall. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I look over and on the sideboard is this slide carousel. And Adam, you might be too young to know what I'm talking about. But um, we used to have these trays, these carousels that we would have to like put each hard slide into upside yeah. down and backwards. And, you know, yeah. you'd have to set it all up. And it took a fairly long time. So I said to her, look, you know what, my carousel for um, depression is ready. I've just finished teaching the medical students. Can I talk about that? And she says, I don't care what you talk about, right? I just need a warm body <laughs> tomorrow morning. So that's actually how in 1990, I had the opportunity to 
speak to hundreds of physicians about depression. I, um, you know, I had several colleagues afterwards come up to me and say, you know, really liked your approach to depression. It sounded like you were telling my story. Will you see me as a patient? And so those are my first, you know, handful of colleagues mm. as patients. And then, and by word of mouth within about three months, that's been my whole practice. And certainly after three decades, that's Gosh. that's what I've done. And, yeah. uh, you know, I heard you talk about uh, uh, me as a trailblazer in this area. And, you know, for sure, I have done, I take every opportunity I can to talk about it. But I will tell you, it's been a bit of a lonely process. Um, yeah. You know, because you're starting to talk about something that nobody really wants to hear, right? Yeah. Um, it's you know, there's there's something happening in the culture, uh, but the culture at the time certainly and and continues to be really, you know, just be tough, just handle it all. Um, saying yeah. that there's any problem is really a sign of weakness, a sign of failure. I remember in the early days you know, trying to talk to people about it, but really I didn't have any, you know, I had anecdotal evidence. I had hundreds yeah. and thousands of physicians I could talk to, uh, talk about, but back then qualitative research wasn't really as well recognized as it is now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I couldn't get a grant to do research because nobody really wanted to ask that question and yeah. find those answers. Right. Yeah. So I think that part of what's helped us reach that tipping point now is more research being done in this area. But, uh, um, you know, honestly, it wasn't really supported earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a story. And this, you know, this is why I, I, I had to get you on the, on the show. I mean, um, and you've just just disclosed some stuff that I don't remember us talking about before. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm so sorry to hear about your father. I appreciate it was a, you know, a long, a long time ago, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, dev devastating, you know, for a, for a child. And, you know, then you, um, you know, a, a strong, inspiring um, woman in the form of your mother at Absolutely. the helm of mm -hmm. five daughters. Um, and, you know, the kind of, you know, the challenges you must have faced, you know, a, a, a child of a, of a single parent, you know, um, mm -hmm immigrant family that you know from you know your your parents mm -hmm. side. um and yet look look at you look you know look at what you achieved and what a what a what a sort of you know <laughs> this isn't meant to you know be in, in any way like reflective of anything other than your attitude mm -hmm. but like a real kind of um you know hard-nosed kind of you know I'm just going to get on with it but gnarly Absolutely. you know I've got I've got an open wound mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. yeah but, my my workplace has no sympathy for that, so I just have to go to work with an open wound yeah. and right. just get on with it. I mean, that is that blows me away, Mumta. That 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 really does. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, I'm disgusted by your workplace's attitude, but that's just normal in healthcare, mm -hmm. I should say, right? Um, it really was, yeah, but, you know, yeah, as, and you know what we learned from our mother was you, you know things happen and you do have to just yeah. get on with it. Yeah. What I didn't yeah. tell you, and certainly for my mother, not only was she left with five daughters, but my youngest sister at the time was like five weeks old. Right. So back to, you just got to get, you have to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. really the message that we learned. I mean, you know, when I talk about, uh, helping to develop women leaders now, you know, I have this amazing role model uh, yeah. who to this day is really, you know, the family matriarch and, and inspires yeah. us all. And I'll tell you, Adam, I'm kind of like the rent of the litter compared to my, my four sisters. So, you know, she has been a very strong uh, support for all of yeah. us over, over the years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine how proud she must be of what, of what you've achieved. Um, you know, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost speechless, which is something for me. <laughs> but uh, um, and and what you say about um, you know, medical patients and you know, kind of mental mental health, uh, the mental health side of things. Uh, I'm you know, I'm kind of you know, in that in that space with regards to workplace bullying, as you know, and it's it's I think it's very much you know akin to. You know, doctors don't want to admit they've got a problem with depression or anxiety, and then they don't want to admit that they're experiencing workplace bullying because, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, tough and keep it together for the patients yes. and we can't have any chinks in our armour and all of this. And uh, so what you say completely resonates. But the fact that you were working on this, 
you know uh, 32 years ago is is just amazing um and in some ways we've come so far but in in other ways you know like with the the, the bullying thing you know we we're kind of back to how it was in 1990 um people just absolutely don't want to they don't want to talk about it which you, you you can understand but oh gosh thank you so much for that answer so much there um mm-hmm. all right so um were there any people um you know within your career senior to you physicians or non-physicians female or male that helped you rise I know you said it was it's a it was lonely because you were you know forging a path mm-hmm. on your own but but were mm-hmm. there any any kind of people there who kind of helped you out and, and advised you and supported you yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that as I look back, I certainly could not have done it uh, without some key people, uh, uh, key mentors and um, sponsors even really in mm-hmm. in my personal, you know, my professional life and a lot of, of course, support in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, but, you know, if I think about workplace mentors, so I, you know, can think of, you know, a key uh, mentor for me who is really the reason that I'm a psychiatrist. And, uh, you know, he taught me in medical school and I remember sort of, you know, not quite knowing what I wanted to do. And honestly, we talk about sort of the uh, the stigma in the culture of, of medicine, you know, about psychiatry. And there was almost this sense of, you know, you're such a good student. Why would you waste all your training and do psychiatry? And, and you know, and so in fact, I started um, in pediatrics. I did two years of a pediatrics residency mm-hmm. And until I realized, you know, like I can help that patient with asthma and get them settled. But when most, you know, of my colleagues would go back to their call room or go do something else, I would sit with the family and ask them what it was like to, you know, live with asthma, right? Like that's where my interest started, really. I could do the other stuff, but now I was, you know, interested. And and then finally I, you know, found the courage to to go do what I really wanted to do, which was psychiatry. And, uh, you know, a, a mentor really that encouraged me every step of the way. And he was uh, um, the chief of psychiatry at the time. And interestingly, Adam, just sort of the... Uh, the impact that this person had. I now belong to a journal club, a group of 12 psychiatrists. We've met, you know, I don't know, every month for the last at least 25 years and, and just update ourselves on psychiatry uh, uh, issues and, and new topics, et cetera. He was a mentor to each and every one of us. That's actually what brought us together as a group, right? So you can see the impact of of mentoring, and you know, you know, almost twenty, yeah, twenty five, almost thirty years later, we still remember him vividly, and and we'll refer to him, right? So the impact of mentoring is great. I've talked to you about uh, this uh, female mentor who was the one that actually, you know, asked me to do that presentation that in many ways yeah. changed my career, right? You know, I thought I was going to do child psychiatry, I end up doing, you know, um, treating physician colleagues, although I joke, I use my child psychiatry skills every day, perhaps, <laughs> uh, in my clinical work now. I um, So, you know, there are there are these key people, I think that, uh, um, and then I remember, uh, you know, my department chair um, at the time being the one that, that, you know, started to know what it was that I was doing in my, uh, um, in my clinical work and asked me to, you know, uh, create some abstracts uh, for an upcoming meeting. And he really encouraged me to do that, which probably on my own, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing. Uh, I know my dean, uh, you know, invited me to come in to uh, uh, lead a task force on physician wellness that in fact ended up leading to the, um, uh, you know, the program that that we, that we you know, eventually developed, right? So I think there were some key people that, you know, recognized what I was doing and what were able to help me just just take it to the next level, invite me for a presentation, etc. Um, but I will say that, you know, they would have been, you know, leaders in a difficult culture that didn't really support that kind of information. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess um, advancing the career and supporting um, a, a woman, a woman of color, you know, back in the, mm-hmm. in, in the nineties, you know, um, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, great, great for them that they, that they did that and uh, i'm just thinking about the um um the woman who asked you to do that talk and and yes. you i mean she obviously had a uh, great faith in you and that and that paid off but you know you were you saw that you know this is an opportunity you know i'm going to grab this opportunity and mm-hmm. you know you 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 uh, rose to that challenge 
amazing. You must have you must have delivered yes. a great talk. Whether you whether you remember remember it or not, you know, people yes. came up to you afterwards and then they wanted you to to be their their psychiatrist. I mean, that's just incredible. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is there's only so much that kind of you know good mentorship can do. You do have to take uh you know some of that kind of responsibility to say, well, do you know, do I want to do this? Do I want to take this opportunity? Do I want to step up? And you, you know, you did that in spade loads. So um, you know, great, great mentorship, but great uh great personal example for our listeners as well in in uh just yeah. you know, just getting on with it, which is you know what you, you learn from your mom as well. So um I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, to be honest, though, Adam, like when she told me all I need is a warm body, like I felt like, you know what, <laughs> the bar is pretty low, right? I can do that. And so I think that really helped me. Obviously, yeah. I wasn't, you know, as worrying about, you know, I'm thinking, well, it's better than having nobody. Well, I'll just go in and do what I do. But yeah. I also think that, you know, the leadership lesson that I'll often share with that story is, you know, just to be open to possibilities, right? Yeah. Like we never know really in our life where, it's going to take us. Um, We have an idea, you know, I did my training, I even did some, you know, postgraduate specialty training and child psychiatry thinking that's where I wanted to go. Certainly Mm. not what I'm doing now, right. And so just the idea of being open, but finding the thing that that grabs your passion, right, that grabs your interest, and that really makes you want to make a difference in that area. Yeah, yeah. That's really great, great learning. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um. Okay, I, I'm I'm loving this. It's it's really it's really positive and uh, some um, amazing learning points. Um, I just you know I always I always ask if there are any um, any challenges along the way uh, along your leadership journey um, that you you experienced, um, and if you did, how did you cope with those and and navigate them and move past them? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. You know what? I think that we you know, I think that the challenges are there. I think that, uh, um, and, and you know, the personal failures are there. We don't really talk about that a lot. And I will say, mm. even after 30 years or more of speaking in the area of physician well-being, et cetera, it's only been in the last five years, I think. It was five years ago that one of the medical students asked me to come talk about failure, right? Mm. Which is not something we ever really talk about. And part of that failure is not personal. Um, I mean, of course, it's personal because we feel that failure and we experience it. But really, I start to see it very much as, um, you know, as a structural issue, right? And Mm. there are aspects of the structure in which we live and work that I think do set us up for fail. I would say most physicians at some point have either experienced, um, uh, you know, some of the bullying or some sort of toxicity in their workplace at some point. And if not personally, at least witnessed it, I would say everyone has. I think that it's it's easier to not go there. It's easier to, you know, because there's such power um, that uh, that keeps these policies and structures in place. But, you know, yeah. the more I think about this, the more I work in this area, the more I realize it is absolutely present. I'm going to mm. share some stories with you, but then I want to come back to kind of where my my thinking is, is moving on this. But I mean, I, I gave you some examples of some, say, department chairs and deans that were totally supportive of the work that I do. But I will tell you, not all of them. I had another department chair that, you know, our annual uh, meeting, you know, I, I walked into his office and um, he looked at me and um, he said to me, you know, he just sat down and he looked at me and he goes, oh, he goes, well, now I know how you can help our colleagues feel better, right? They just look into your big brown eyes and instantly feel better. I thought, you know, I am sure that he does not dismiss the work of any of my male colleagues in Mm. the same way, right? Mm. And, you know, it has nothing to do with my eyes. It has, you know, it has a lot to do with my skills and my knowledge and my expertise. And we didn't even get to that, right? I think that, um, uh, and I, you know, and I'm not sure that he thought that that was dismissive. He may have seen that as a compliment, but absolutely. I said, and, you know, that's how I responded to him. I said uh, that I, um, I, you know, that, uh, you know, thank you. But however, I would like to, you know, really uh, focus on the skills and the experience and the expertise that I have that I think helps me help my colleagues. And um, I think that, you know, a lot of times we we do this where we, um mm. 
where, you know, as women, perhaps, and if we think about discrimination, uh, gender-based discrimination, women are mm-hmm. given a lot of sort of the service jobs, we're, you know, asked to do sort of all the background work, but then, you know, we're passed up for the actual leadership roles. Yeah. I think, yeah. uh, um, you know, when I think about uh, gender discrimination, uh, you know, I, I, I talked to you about sort of the outcome of my pregnancies, but what I didn't tell you was that, you know, each time I told my program director that I was expecting, I got a, oh, shit. Really? Right. And I was thinking, you know, I would love to, you know, uh, that change that experience for women in training now, just mm-hmm. for they have somebody who can actually say congratulations. Right. Yeah. And how can we help you through this? Right. And so I think that, um, you know, certainly uh, I think the gender based uh, uh, discrimination, I, I'm sure that there uh, was racial discrimination. I didn't quite yeah. realize it because it was subtle. I think that. Um, you know, there are there are different types of, as I understand and learn more about it, there are different types of racial racial uh, uh, discrimination or racism, which would be um, some is really segregating, which is, you know, just assuming that, you know, we just need to keep these people separate somehow. Yeah. And then there's this other that's perhaps not as immediately obvious, which is more sort of assimilation. Right. And and I remember absolutely there was a very clear message when I got into medical school, you know, as a woman of color, like just be grateful you're here. Right. And really the goal was to fly under the radar and, um, you know, not rock the boat and just be grateful. Right. That was kind mm-hmm. of very mm-hmm. much the message that that we received. And I remember actually one attending uh, physician actually in psychiatry who it wasn't until I'd finished a six month rotation with him gave me to his credit, gave me a really glowing um you know, uh, evaluation, but said, he said, you know, I have to admit that when I first saw you, right, I didn't even know if you could speak English properly, let alone be capable to do your job, right? And he said, you know, I'm so glad you proved me wrong. Now, you know, that's what he told me at the end of that, right? So I can imagine that there were things that he would have said or done kind of to reinforce that, that again, yeah. I was so busy assimilating that I, that I may have missed. Right. Yeah. So I really feel that um, certainly that's been, that's been my, you know, my experience I've heard, I can't tell you how much of that over, you know, over the years, I think that, um, um, and certainly, you know, I mean, there are some people uh, that I've had to work with um that have, you know, have uh, exhibited toxic behavior uh, for many, many years. Uh, I would say that, you know, in the culture of medicine, we just kind of allowed that. Um, We, uh, uh, and then, you know, I worked, uh, I would say probably uh, about 15 years into my practice, we started to realize, you know, that this is happening. I started to be more aware of it. I would hear people talk about it in my office, the impact to them. And, uh, and then I know, you know, um, worked with some of our colleagues at Vanderbilt to look at a professionalism model and how to actually, you know, think about zero tolerance and addressing this kind of behavior. And although we talk about zero tolerance, you know, in an environment where there isn't psychological safety, um, Mm. you know, people still don't speak up, right? It's the the fear of retribution, the, 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 really and back to you know the power imbalance right i think uh, makes it really hard and that that sort of vicious cycle um i will just say a couple of other things about sort of toxicity at work i think two things one is that i've certainly seen it escalate through the pandemic i think that you know as our stress increases it really does impact our ability to self-regulate and regulate sort of ourselves emotionally and our behavior uh, associated with that. And, you know, we do see that we can actually become more toxic and we actually can, can be less able to see other people's difficult behaviors as well. Like our tolerance somehow is increased or, or maybe we just detach and, and can't manage you know, dealing uh, with with that acknowledgement. Um, mm-hmm. So it does uh, require sort of, you know, people taking some some more courageous steps uh, towards this. I, I also wanted to say that I recently read um, a report from the McKinsey Health Institute. Um, mm-hmm. So um, 
And what they talked about really is that, you know, a quarter of employees around the globe experience toxic behavior in their workplace. They're not looking specifically at medicine yet, but I'm hoping to see if I can get them to, to do some of that work in the medical yeah. uh, workplace. And, um, you know, and what we see is that, um, you know, the one of maybe like we talked about um, sort of system level drivers, say, of burnout and of people leaving the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I've heard uh, from the McKinsey Health Institute is that one of the biggest system level drivers is toxicity in the workplace. And that's, I think, not something we've actually identified to the same extent in the past. But, um, you know, certainly I've seen anecdotal evidence of it. And I really feel that, uh, you know, we can talk about all of, you know, we talked about burnout initially, you know, what can the individual do? And I still think that, um, it's important not to blame the individual physician. I mean, yeah. you know, we are resilient. We wouldn't have gotten into medical school and through medical school and yes. done all that we did if we were not resilient, right? Yes. Um, but then we come into a system and some of the studies are showing that by even by like as early as second or third year medical school, right, we start to see the impact of this culture and system in which we work and our level of uh, mental health starts to decline. And then we continue to work in this. And so, um you know, now we're talking about the importance of really addressing system level factors. Uh, what I think I'm really hearing and struck by is that, you know, the bulk of the system level factors is how the system and the policies and the structures perpetuate toxic behavior. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I 100% agree with all of that. Thank you um, so much for, for sharing some of your, um, your, your challenges. Um, I mean, you know, goodness the whole uh the whole big brown eyes thing you know uh hello there's there's a lot more to me than just my yes. big brown eyes you know <laughs> let's forget let's forget those um and um the 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 attending who you know wasn't even sure whether you you might be able to speak good english or not i mean gosh mm-hmm. um wow you you have you've experienced some things and i think your um you know your kind of thoughts on um you know the systemic toxicity and so on are are completely spot on, and I I I entirely agree with all of that. Um, and say say similar things as well. So thank you, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Um, well, so um, in addition to that, uh, excellent advice around you know kind of um, feeling your way through these challenges and and kind of uh, you know getting past them. Do you have any other advice for our listeners on how to become a, a strong and, and kind leader? I, I I certainly see you as uh, someone who is very very strong and kind so you must have some advice on the on these <laughs> areas <laughs> yeah thank you adam um i appreciate your saying that i think that uh, you know for those of us that have the ability to be in leadership roles i think a lot of this is um it's really about how do we lead compassionately and some excellent work comes from Western colleagues uh, in the UK on compassionate leadership. And, uh, you know, I have been certainly through the pandemic looking at even more how we can help leaders, you know, take that kind of a leadership approach uh, in terms of compassion. And so a lot of this involves um, at the very beginning, just being aware Right. That these things occur, that this is happening in our workplace um, and that, you know, it is difficult and people are experiencing a lot of stress and having to deal with structures and policies that are, uh, you know, that are not supportive of them. So I think the awareness is really important. I think the listening is going to be really important that when people tell you something, um, listen to it and believe it. I think that's going to be, you know, so important. People don't make these things up. It's easier to not have a story. If someone is telling you something that happened, that takes courage actually to be able to say that. And we need to, to, you know, uh, receive that uh, um, and listen and believe it Um, and, and not just listen, but then acknowledge it. Right. How do we actually appreciate and acknowledge what their experience is? And if we did all of that, Adam, we would be we would be exhibiting empathy. But compassion and compassionate leadership requires us to do one step further, which is actually act on it. Right. So as a leader, what can you do? 
to yeah. address that issue? Is there a change in, you know, a policy or a structure that we can look at that we can uh, um, that we can start to identify as being part of the issue that we can, uh, you know, address? And so, uh, you know, I, I think that, and in, in so as I start to understand compassionate leadership as not just empathy, but actually action about that, I think yeah. that, you know, that's my challenge for uh, leaders uh, to take on is um, how can you, you know, how can you be aware? How can you listen? How can you acknowledge but then how can you be prepared to do something to make it better yeah that's fantastic great great uh insights there and 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 great advice and uh yeah um and i think yeah with that kind of um the compassion compassionate side actually it requires quite a lot of strength doesn't it because to 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 demonstrate that and it's it's you know because other people might see it as a weakness so actually you're standing up and saying no i am being empathic i'm being kind and i'm going to act on that and that shows mm-hmm. that you know it takes a lot of courage doesn't it to to do that so um that the t- two are sort of uh tied together really um yeah thank you so much um okay so I mean, you've actually given us loads of uh, fantastic um, lessons already, but do you have any sort of um, uh, key take home messages um, for the listeners that you'd like to, you know, really embed um, over and above what you've already said? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I started to talk to you about how um, some of our uh, some of our childhood experiences give us sort of that confidence and yeah. you know over the years as I start to look um and I try to understand uh you know just sort of my own experience but then again how that uh, applies to my colleagues um you know and and say for example appreciating the 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 leadership the gender leadership gap um mm-hmm. you know one of the things is really how do we how do we work on our confidence and probably you know one take home would be that we are capable and we are mm. competent right and probably you know and i've been quoted as saying many things some of them i'm not always proud of but the one that i am the most proud of is really just uh and particularly for women in medicine that you know as women um we need to increase our level of confidence to match our level of competence right mm. i really think that mm. that's going to be important for us we're we have it we have what it takes yeah. we just need to be able to reach out and act on it I love that. That's that's the soundbite, the right there. <laughs> I think that is that's an absolute uh that's a gem and a half. Um yeah, ma- match match your confidence, your competence, because yeah, there's no there's no question about the competence in 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 most of uh you know female leaders' cases. Um, but you're I think that's so insightful. Uh yeah, because you know, their male counterparts, they just seem to be just seem to be confident don't they whatever they just seem to be quite gung-ho and and whatever and uh you know we're really we're really missing out on some tremendous uh leaders uh if people can't you know bring their bring their confidence up to that that level to match their competence that is that's really uh that's really strong thank you for that really really like that um Okay, so um, what things? I know we talked about your uh, your retreat and and um, and PKMD, your company, and um, you know all the kind of keynote speeches that you do, and uh, coaching medical leads internationally and so on. But I mean, is it some something within that area, or is there something new that you're currently working on that you would, um, you know, you're excited about? You'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, thank you, Adam, for that. I appreciate this opportunity. You know, as I, uh, I you know, and as you say, there are a lot of things uh, uh, in this field in terms of physician well-being and, and leadership. And and like many of us, right, uh, many of us leaders, we take on a lot and then we realize, OK, I have to kind of let go of some things. And then, of course, it gradually trickles up again. I remember the last time I sort of stopped to reassess all that I was doing. I stopped to think of, you know, what do I do? that I'm the happiest doing, right? That I, mm-hmm. that I really enjoy the most. And, mm. and one thing that came to me very clearly, and certainly I, I would say, you know, growing up in my family with my mother and my sisters, like 
I am happy in a room full of women, right? That is my mm-hmm. happy place. And so I started to think of, you know, how could I bring women together? How could I teach them some of these leadership skills uh, to help uh, uh, reduce that uh, gender uh, leadership gap that we see in medicine? And so probably the things that I'm the most excited that I'm currently working on would be two projects in that area. Uh, Momentum, as you've already alluded to, is a special program. It's a uh, um, it's a it's a longer retreat. It's a six day Mm. Uh, retreat for women in medicine. And it started because, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of our leadership courses are sort of these standard two-day courses. And yeah. I was asked to do one for women leaders in medicine, which is really, um, you know, it was very well received. But what the women would always say is, you know, the first day, they'd hear all sorts of great stuff. They'd go home yeah. that night and, you know, I don't know, you know, make dinner, put the kids to bed, be thinking about a little bit of this. They come back the second day with all sorts of great ideas and then the course would end. And so they said, you know, what we really want is to be able to be introduced to these things and have some time to reflect and discuss. And so that's where the leadership retreat uh, momentum came from. Um, So with that six days is is really just away from your day-to-day life and and being able to come back, right? And and move your thoughts and ideas along. And you know, what what we see is about 90% of the women that come are probably, interestingly, already on the on the brink of making some big decision in their lives, like taking Mm -hmm. on a new role or something. Mm -hmm. And then they actually leave the retreat and tell us afterwards that they, you know, were able to do that successfully. So uh, it's a, it's a great program. Love doing it. Um, And then uh, the raft is uh, something that I launched online through the pandemic, just really Mm -hmm. trying to bring women around the world together. Um, You know, there are some in-person webinars, but they all are accessible uh, asynchronously as well. Um, Mm -hmm. They're all fully accredited uh, um, and uh, follow sort of the, the leads framework. And we have sort of some learning about leadership uh, um, topics uh, from, you know, from all aspects. And um, we follow what's called the LEADS framework, which the uh, which is a, a leadership framework for healthcare professionals uh, actually uh, designed in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. The L is for leading self. The E is mm-hmm. engaging others. The A is achieving results. The D is developing coalitions and S is uh, making system level changes. And so we really look at the whole uh, aspect of, uh, of uh, leadership um, and, 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 you know, people have opportunities to discuss it in small groups and in a large group session as well. And then we also introduce them to uh, uh, male leaders in medicine that, that are allies for us uh, to women leaders in medicine that share their, um, their leadership lessons in, you know, through fireside chats we have a leadership journal club. We uh, have, um, uh, you know, once a month, a, to- a topic on leadership resilience, sort of bringing, you know, together my two areas of interest um, and blogs and really just opportunity to interact and, and build a community. Um, again, that's been very well received. And uh, so those are two really interesting uh projects that I think, you know, really align well with, uh, you know, what I'm able to offer, but also what I'm the happiest doing. They they sound absolutely tremendous. They they really do. Um, I yeah. Six day retreat. It makes it makes it makes so much sense. Exactly exactly what you say. Two days is just you know it's just starting mm-hmm. to percolate, and it's like oh that's the end. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. yes <laughs> that's exactly. really yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And and um, how can people kind of have a have a look for those? Is it on your website or? Yeah, that's probably the best place, Adam, to look. My website is peakmd.ca. So that's P as in Paul, E-A-K-M-D.ca. And um, it would have information about, you know, about me um, and my contact information, as well as uh, about any of these programs, or just if you want to know more about what's going on in the physician uh, well-being and physician leadership world. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, make sure that those are in the um, the summary of the show in the show notes. Um, fantastic. So, uh, actually, kind of while while we're on that on that subject, if if the listeners would like to reach out to you, and I really hope they will, because I think you have so much to offer. Um, what's the the best way um, for them to do so? Yeah, so my email address is on my website. And so um, just go to the website, have a look around, you'll find my email address. And uh, um, I'm happy to uh, respond to any email that I receive. Perfect, perfect. I think we'll put the email address there just for for Mm -hmm. ease as well. uh, So people can just look straight down. 
Okay, well, we're 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 coming to an end. I can't believe it. Um, I just could talk to you all day. Um, but do you have any closing words that you'd like to share with the listeners before we before we finish? Um, you know, Adam, thank you so much for uh, giving me the the time to uh, speak with you and share some thoughts uh, uh, that I've sort of accumulated over the years. I um, I guess you know my my. Uh, what, what I want to say in closing is that even though it's been difficult and even though I, um, you know, focus on some of these difficult issues like burnout or uh, bullying or toxicity in our environment, I have to say I'm very hopeful. You know, I um, look at this next generation ahead. I feel like they are going to take you know what we uh, what we have started to talk about, and they're much more comfortable talking about these things. They're more comfortable advocating for these for you know a healthier workplace, uh, uh, and um, you know, and and they're and they just believe that it's possible, right? And so that just makes me so hopeful, and uh, I, you know, I really um, look forward to what uh, you know uh, collectively with with the next generations uh, to come in medicine will be able to achieve. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I I completely agree. And uh, and also on the you know the kind of the the other side of that is that some of the people who are propagating and perpetuating some of this behaviour are kind of on their way out. They're of a certain generation, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully those in the generation below have learned that this is not a good way to be. And and you know so it will uh, it will just kind of encourage um better cultures from from now on um that's uh, yeah that's a, a great hope thank you thank you so much thank you um thank you again for coming on the show and sharing all your huge amounts of wisdom and wonderful advice with us um thank you all for listening until the next episode in two weeks i wish you all health happiness and inspiring leadership take care thank you Thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the Inspiring Women Leaders podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you did, please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Dr. Adam, Physician Coach, So please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline. So please keep a regular eye on my website, www.dradamharrison.com. That's www.dradamharrison.com for updates. Thank you again for your time today. And please join me next time, two weeks from now, on Alternate Wednesdays, for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders.